Section 13 of Mark Twain's Autobiography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by John Greenman. McFarlane. Written about 1898. When I was turned twenty, I wandered to Cincinnati and was there several months. Our boarding house crew was made up of commonplace people of various ages and sexes. They were full of bustle, frivolity, chatter, and the joy of life, and were good-natured, clean-minded, and well-meaning. But they were oppressively uninteresting for all of that, with one exception. This was McFarlane, a Scotchman. He was forty years old, just double my age, but we were opposite in most ways, and comrades from the start. I always spent my evenings by the wood fire in his room, listening in comfort to his tireless talk, and to the dulled complainings of the winter storms, until the clock struck ten. At that hour he grilled a smoked herring, after the fashion of an earlier friend in Philadelphia, the Englishman Sumner. His herring was his nightcap, and my signal to go. He was six feet high and rather lank, a serious and sincere man. He had no humor, nor any comprehension of it. He had a sort of smile whose office was to express his good nature, but if I ever heard him laugh, the memory of it is gone from me. He was intimate with no one in the house but me, though he was courteous and pleasant to all. He had two or three dozen weighty books, philosophies, histories, and scientific works, and at the head of this procession were his Bible and his dictionary. After his herring he always read two or three hours in bed. Diligent talker as he was, he seldom said anything about himself. To ask him a personal question gave him no offense nor the asker any information. He merely turned the matter aside and flowed placidly on about other things. He told me once that he had had hardly any schooling, and that such learning as he had he had picked up for himself. That was his whole biographical revelation, I believe. Whether he was bachelor, widower, or grass-widower remained his own secret. His clothes were cheap, but neat, and caretakingly preserved. Ours was a cheap boarding-house. He left the house at six mornings, and returned to it toward six evenings. His hands were not soft, so I reasoned that he worked at some mechanical calling ten hours a day for humble wages but I never knew. As a rule, technicalities of a man's vocation and figures and metaphors drawn from it slip out in his talk and reveal his trade, but if this ever happened in McFarlane's case I was none the wiser, although I was constantly on the watch during half a year for those very betrayals. It was mere curiosity. I didn't care what his trade was, but I wanted to detect it, 
in true detective fashion and was annoyed because i couldn't do it i think he was a remarkable man to be able to keep the shop out of his talk all that time there was another noteworthy feature about him he seemed to know his dictionary from beginning to end he claimed that he did he was frankly proud of this accomplishment and said i would not find it possible to challenge him with an english word which he could not promptly spell and define i lost much time trying to hunt up a word which would beat him but those weeks were spent in vain and i finally gave it up which made him so proud and happy that i wished i had surrendered earlier he seemed to be as familiar with his bible as he was with his dictionary it was easy to see that he considered himself a philosopher and a thinker his talk always ran upon grave and large questions and i must do him the justice to say that his heart and his conscience were in his talk and that there was no appearance of reasoning and arguing for the vain pleasure of hearing himself do it of course his thinking and reasoning and philosophizing were those of a but partly taught and wholly untrained mind yet he hit by accident upon some curious and striking things for instance the time was the early part of eighteen fifty six fourteen or fifteen years before mr darwin's descent of man startled the world yet here was macfarlane talking the same idea to me there in the boarding-house in cincinnati the same general idea but with difference macfarlane considered that the animal life in the world was developed in the course of eons of time from a few microscopic seed germs or perhaps one microscopic seed germ deposited upon the globe by the creator in the dawn of time and that this development was progressive upon an ascending scale toward ultimate perfection until man was reached and that then the progressive scheme broke pitifully down and went to wreck and ruin he said that man's heart was the only bad heart in the animal kingdom that man was the only animal capable of feeling malice envy vindictiveness revengefulness hatred selfishness the only animal that loved drunkenness almost the only animal that could endure personal uncleanliness and a filthy habitation the sole animal in whom was fully developed the base instinct called patriotism the sole animal that robs persecutes oppresses and kills members of his own immediate tribe the sole animal that steals and enslaves the members of any tribe he claimed that man's intellect was a brutal addition to him and degraded him to a rank far below the plane of the other animals and that there was never a man who did not use his intellect daily all his life 
to advantage himself at other people's expense the divinest divine reduced his domestics to humble servitude under him by advantage of his superior intellect and those servants in turn were above a still lower grade of people by force of brains that were still a little better than theirs end of section thirteen mcfarlane written about eighteen ninety eight